It's grim today, Tom. It's gray and dark and sadness in the sky. Oh, no. Oh, it's it's awful. That's it's right. Awful. You live in the PNW. I do. Uh, this is uh, coming to you straight from the heart of seasonal depression, Portland, Oregon. Oof. Uh, but I did just get back from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is also the heart of Tornado Alley. And it, it has me thinking a lot about the weather. Oh, OK. How is your weather? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Always. <laughs> L.A. is just so stupid on so many levels. <laughs> just gifted with fantasticness and just jewels falling from the sky. You may think that, but it got down to 60 yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Tom, the, the season, it, we're in the middle of severe weather season, and it got me thinking a lot about the weather. And I started poking around a little bit. And it turns out severe weather phobia is a thing. Did you know this? No, but I guess that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. As many as one in 10 Americans suffer from severe weather phobia. Jill Coleman from Ball State University. She's a geography professor there. They just finished a study uh, that was published in the American Meteorological Society Journal, and, and they document the kinds of concerns that come from folks. And uh, their uh, the responses were interesting, uh, aligning a lot of this sort of severe weather phobia to PTSD. And as we get an mm. increasing frequency of severe Severe weather events across the country, the frequency of severe weather phobia reports is going oh, up. Sure. I thought some of these responses were really funny in the study. So so 99% of all respondents say that they have some form of weather, of severe weather concerns. 99%. <laughs> so, wow. Right. Pretty much everybody. Uh, yeah. 80.5 say they don't actually suffer from a phobia. However... Uh, 10% of them feel that they do suffer from a phobia. They do suffer from the OCD that can come from uh, always having to have notifications on their phone, always having to have Weather Channel on, always having to have uh, this sort of notification so that they can hide, feeling like they need to hide from the outside and those sorts of, of conditions. That's really scary because, you know, That's really scary. Yeah. Weather is all over the place, man. There's really no getting around it. Even in L.A., it has weather. <laughs> yes. Well, no, is it rains here for five minutes the entire city drowns like we can't handle <laughs> anything the idea right. of climate change really becoming more and more of a, of a reality well it's totally a reality but either way uh depends on who you talk to um <laughs> we are not equipped for even just rain no not we can't rain. do it everything immediately floods and somehow lights on fire <laughs> like california right. is the potential to be a mess all the time. This is what got me thinking, because all of this weather anxiety, it all kind of comes back to the media. The media has a really interesting uh, place in reporting the weather. It's not like just news, which is, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And we have to uh, we have to terrify everybody because we need people to watch the ratings. The weather in particular is at a strange position on local news. They need you to feel a certain level of anxiety because they may need you to take action. They may need you to leave your house. They may need you to hide. Oh, they may need you to find a bunker. It's not like an existential fear. No. It's a real notification. Fear. Sure. That gets me to my story today. It turns out that as reported at the National Weather Association annual conference this year, a, a group of psychiatric professionals and a group of uh, meteorologists are working together to launch a new program to help alleviate some of the symptoms of storm anxiety, fear, anxiety, and all the way to severe weather phobia. They want to soften the anxiety triggers so that people who watch the news understand when 
they need to take action and when they simply need to be aware. And they've launched a whole program, the Storm oh. Anxiety Project, Tom. The Storm <laughs> oh. Anxiety Project. <laughs> project. Uh, It's being spent through uh, 2019, just launched right now, uh, and uh, through the Oklahoma Medical Reserve Corps Stress Response Team based in Oklahoma City. They are providing lots of trainings both to emergency responders and to media professionals uh, through the Office of Emergency Management to try to change the way they talk about the weather on the news. And I think that's kind of sweet that's very sweet because you don't think about the news <laughs> looking out for us that way <laughs> go ahead instead of what just could you possibly say that's positive at the end of that sentence <laughs> <laughs> that's funny you don't think about the news fill in the blank crap hole <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week, we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out to us. We want to hear from you and about your anxieties. Send us the story of your anxieties to something stinky at rashpixel.fm again that was not my choice and again that's something stinky at rashpixel.fm gross (laughs) i don't care for it this one is a bit of a mystery in that i don't really understand it doesn't seem to have a clinical term assigned to it that i could find it relates to my childhood and it still resonates with me Although lesser, but still, it still resonates today. And I honestly haven't opened up to many people about this in real life. Real life. <laughs> Instead of podcast <laughs> world. Uh, but I want to talk don't, about it. Don't worry. Nobody's listening, Tom. Nobody, good it's point. okay. <laughs> oh, that's right. As Pete and I welcome to this episode of Shouting Into an Empty Tunnel. <laughs> but I want to talk about it. It can only help. Here we go. I am at your service. All right. We will start with an impossible puzzle. What do these three songs have in common? The three songs are... Welcome Christmas from the Dr. Seuss Scrooge TV special. Do you remember which one Welcome Christmas is? Is that the... Yes, exactly. Oh, I don't... Well, you know the words, you show off. Uh, Thanks, Google. (laughs) (laughs) But they're nonsense words. Yeah. And then the second one is This Magic Moment by Jay and the Americans from 1969. (laughs) Okay. This magic moment. And the Uh final one is Around the Way Girl. By LL Cool J in 1990. Do you remember that song? (laughs) I need an around the way girl, round the way girl. What do those three have in common? Would you like to guess? You will not guess correctly. (laughs) I, I, uh, Tommy, I don't know. You already gave me, let me off the hook because you said it's an impossible uh, puzzle. Correct. I'm going to take that out. Okay. Let's step away from these songs for now. We will come back to them. Oh, goodness. From as long as I can remember. I have suffered from a fear of not being able to go to sleep. I haven't suffered from not being able to go to sleep. I am very lucky in that I've never really suffered from actual insomnia. But bedtime has always been bedtime. I'm a child. Mm -hmm. But sleepy time has always (laughs) been uneasy for me because I've suffered a fear of what if I'm not able to go to sleep? Okay. That in mind, I have two big memories uh, that sort of light this up that I would like to share. Okay. Uh, The first is the story of Woomph. Let me explain. When I was growing up in Virginia, um, I used to stay over at... Wait a minute. You're from Virginia? Well, I I was born in Washington, D.C. 
lived in Vienna, Virginia, and in fourth grade moved to Boulder, Colorado. And now I live here in Los Angeles. It's like I'm on the <laughs> lamb. No, I guess that's <laughs> not that much. <laughs> Did I never tell you probably, that? Probably oh, well. shouldn't do the podcast, I guess. But uh, interesting story. Nice little road trip. <laughs> My grandparents owned 17 acres of land. Uh, there was a garden as part of it. There was a forest. And I used to love being there. I would go there after school a lot because my parents both worked. And my dog Oso and I would run all around the 17 acres. We had secret passages. There was a forest. It was absolutely fantastic. And then sometimes I would stay over there for night. And that could be really hard for me. I remember waiting for the woomph. Now, what that is, is I would sleep in a back bedroom, but it was close enough to the living room where I could still hear the TV that was going if someone was watching it. I couldn't really hear what they were watching, but you could just sort of hear that sort of murmur. So far, you've described an M. Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> How come? Well, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I'm sort of in signs. Yeah, well, there is a huge twist at the end of this. I'm actually Foster, <laughs> my dog. No, I was dead the entire time. So what it was is they had one of those old-timey TVs that were... I shouldn't say old timey. They were TVs, but they were really thick, thick TVs. Like I don't cathode right. tubes or those yeah, things. I don't remember. Yeah, they were cathode yeah, they were just, tubes. Yeah, an old CRT TV. I could still hear the sort of murmur, and in the back bedroom where I slept over, uh, I could hear that, and that made things okay. Because as far as I can connect to it, that meant other people were awake. Mm -hmm. Because either my grandmother or grandfather was out there watching TV, and then I would hear the woomph. Do you remember turning off old TVs? they would make this sort of like a rumph noise. And that meant that the, the television set was turned off. And that meant I was alone. And I immediately felt like everyone was asleep except me. Everyone's doing fine. No one knows that I'm still awake and can't fall asleep. To be honest, there was something incredibly, I won't even say unsettling. There was something very terrifying about that. And this happened a lot during my childhood. This is this gets a little this gets a little serious. Unfortunately, in junior high, there was the light under the door. My bedroom was on the second floor. My door was closed and you could see light from the kitchen downstairs. And the light from the kitchen downstairs meant that one of my one or both of my parents was still awake doing some work, watching TV, whatever parents do. I'll never know. <laughs> it became sort of a in my mind, a bit of a competition to if I can fall asleep before the light under the door went out, then I'd be OK. Mm hmm. Uh, it's almost like I would join the world of sleep. Of course, when you're trying to do something like falling asleep, obviously the opposite happens. So I would keep opening my eyes every once in a while in order to check. And then because unlike the wolf, lights don't make any noise. At some point I would open my eyes and the light would be off and everything would be dark and I would be flooded with anxiety. Again, about the fact that there's something about the fact of that I believe that everyone is asleep except me. And there's something very lonely about that. And what if I can't get to sleep? But it sounds like because you don't suffer from insomnia, like what you are describing, yeah. the next step is you can't actually get to sleep. Did you ever get to the point where you would just forget to be awake and then it went away? Or did you actually suffer from staying awake? Sometimes I would stay awake for a very long time. Yeah. But I mean, again, it wasn't really insomnia. So I was ultimately able to fall asleep. I was not sleep deprived. Yeah. I guess it's, but that doesn't take away the negative aspect of that horrible feeling before I go to sleep. And I'm sure it took longer. It, it, yeah, it totally doesn't. It's, it is more of a surprise that it didn't turn into something more chronic. Which I'm very lucky for. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Throughout my childhood, I did try 
things to help me get to sleep. And my parents were actually very helpful with this. They don't know potentially about how deep this went, but I started listening to things. And there was a record mm-hmm. of Paddington. It was a vinyl record of the story of Paddington. And that was my nighttime soundtrack for many years. This is before junior high. Sorry, let's go back. <laughs> I don't want to completely infant. <laughs> and that's what I listen to today. Gotta go. Um, and then after that, there was a cassette tape of Curious George that uh-huh. I used to listen to. But once I got to junior high and into high school, which are anxiety-ridden times for lives yeah. of many people, mm-hmm. uh, the dread of not being able to get to sleep took a turn and affected what I was trying to listen to at the time while trying to sleep. And that's where the songs I mentioned before finally joined this story. You listened to Dr. Seuss to go to sleep. There were certain songs that I listened to that because they didn't help and I was going through such bad anxiety, they became the soundtrack to my anxiety. (laughs) And to this day, I honestly have trouble hearing those songs. It's not like I go into a full panic, but I actively want to turn them off because they've been like sensorily paired to your anxiety absolutely they've imprinted wow exactly right and so that grinch song with that weird flore dominate (laughs) song that's haunting haunting, yes uh because it was the soundtrack to my anxiety later i would listen to old cassettes that my parents had this would have been a age when i wasn't able to buy my own stuff and they had a collection of oldies that's where this magic moment comes in And then in 1990, I had just started high school, and so that's when I would listen to the radio. I guess the radio? I can't remember what we used to listen to. I guess it was a radio, a teletype. And back then, Around the Way Girl by LL Cool J was super popular, and so that would always be playing. And so those three songs, including other ones, make me goosey. Again, the clinical term, uh, when I hear them. You can't listen to all three of those songs because of your anxiety. I chalk that up to, you're off the hook, man. That's great. Oh, <laughs> like, it's not like I tried to fall asleep to the soundtrack to Hamilton. And now yeah, don't I'm do screwed that. No, and no. can't enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> but Pete, lady love Cool James. You gotta, you gotta get your LL Cool J in there. You know, it's funny. I, I've talked about, like, I, you know, I've had trouble with sleep. And we've talked about that in other episodes where, mm-hmm. you know, struggling with, you know, the invasive thoughts at, at night thing. And so I, I absolutely relate. And as an adult, uh, I, I also have the, the challenge with the, the fear of falling asleep. For me, it actually does end in anxiety or in anxiety induced insomnia, okay. um, where I'm, I'm just, I'm just up, but it was never, uh, it was never associated with uh, a particular, you know, a, a fear. And that's the thing that's, that, that I think is, is uh, sort of touching me. It's that, the, it's this, that, you know, it didn't turn into any, it's not necessarily related to, or may not be related specifically to sleep, but more to this childhood fear this right. Shyamalan scale fear of the light under the door. I mean, I can just feel right. that. Yeah. <laughs> the Shyamalan scale is a new thing that we're coining. Oh, today. the Shyamalan, Shyamalan scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. are you on the Shyamalan scale? Point, <laughs> point on the Shyamalan scale where he touched you. <laughs> uh, it's not. Uh, the best I can tell about what I was worried about is at first it was. And this is the most interesting one, because later, I'll skip to the second one. The later one, it just involved our old friend's social anxiety. Uh It evolved into a fear of, I will be tired, so I will not be able to perform socially as well as I can the next day. I won't be as on in ability to either make people laugh, have people like me, which is pretty important to me. Um, Before (laughs) then, though, it really just seemed to be, like I talked about, everyone is fine and happy and asleep but me, and no one knows. I can't 
parse exactly what I was feeling. It might have just been loneliness, but that's the part that I can't relate to as well. You have any insight? <laughs> no, yeah. well, I don't know about insight, but as a child, that's a that that strikes me as something that I would be so easily able to transfer. Right? Yeah. Everybody's asleep but me, and no one knows. Uh, it's so easy to turn into. Um, you know, I am drowning and no one knows. I sure. am, uh, you fear know what I mean? Abandonment, fear of loneliness. Uh, exactly. Of, exactly. Yeah. And that is, uh, that to me just screams like, uh, that, that panic state that is, it's so palpable, uh, as a kid. So what does it do to you today? Like, how do you, oh, uh, now? Uh, yeah. And I wonder because there are people who still, I mean, you know, even as an adult, I mean, you're, pushing 60 and um, do you Jerk. like do you just find you still just from to, the neck down yeah. <laughs> do you find you need to uh listen to things now because i'll tell you when my wife travels and she travels for a week out of every month yeah uh, she goes uh, away to the eastern oregon and i am alone in a giant bed with a dog hmm. and i i find often i have to close out the world by listening to something you know i'll put on yep. a podcast that i don't you know, and just put it kind of low, one that I've already listened to or something, just to have voices. Yes. Um, right? Do you still do it? I do. I do to this day. It's uh, I was. It's tough to find a lot of new information about this, especially because yeah. it doesn't completely exist. And I nobody cares. And, and nobody, nobody. And I'm all alone. You're there's all a, alone. <laughs> there's a ton of articles that I looked up, but they all really pretty much boil down to if you're anxious about getting to sleep, then it will be harder for you to get to sleep. Thanks. Internet. <laughs> Great job. That's yeah. Super nice thoughtful. byline. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but and so instead, the learning section is this is what I now have learned for myself and what I use when I need it and which is pretty mm -hmm. much every night, but it's OK. Uh, number one, the first thing that I've learned is don't just for me, I don't just lay there. I, that there's such an impulse to if I just lay here and keep my eyes tight, really, sh you know, shut, keep my eyes tight, really shut, keep my <laughs> eyes shut, really tight, uh, then I will just sleep will happen and sleep will happen. You can't force yourself to sleep. It, of course. Uh, well, those articles actually did, I guess, help. Uh, you can't <laughs> force yourself to sleep. I now know that if I can't sleep, then it's not time to sleep. And so turn on the light and read. Yes. Relax. You're going to be fine. Absolutely. And I usually I have a book that it's I'll usually be rereading in addition to a, a normal book that I'll be reading. I'll have an old favorite on standby that I've read many times before. That's almost kind of like saying hello to an old friend. So it's not too interesting. I know everything mm -hmm. that's going to be happening, but you can just sort of it's a version of literary white noise in effect that you can just sort of pull over yourself. What? I'm bad at <laughs> similes. Okay, anyways. Number two. <laughs> A part, a big part of that, I don't even know what a simile is, is confronting the fear head on. What am I really worried about? That I'm going to be a little tired the next day? Has that ever really affected me? No. What else am I really worried about? Oh, that's kind of it. Other than yeah. my mind racing, this is just about worrying about worrying about sleep. Obviously, mm -hmm. if there's other stuff going on and I have worries the next day, everyone goes through that. I'm not talking about that as much. And the last one is get yourself a foster. Because my dog oh. sleep sleeps in my bed, which my parents are weirdly horrified by. I thought that that's what the point really? of having a dog was. Yeah, that is the point of having a dog. I think that's codified somewhere. I forgot that Bogey, our dog back in Colorado, he never slept in the bed, but it just yeah, 
it, I wasn't going to do it. And then he got up on the bed once and I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> this is All your over. bed. And he takes up most of the bed. He's tiny and he manages to push me out of bed a lot. But he and I wonder if that, huh, of course, I didn't make this connection until just now. What? I'm not sleeping. I'm alone. Everyone is fine and happy and asleep but me. And I'm alone yeah. having a foster in your bed. You're not alone. Yeah. There's someone that, else there that, checks out. that even I can wake up if need be. And he goes, which is the noise he makes when he doesn't <laughs> like, like it. When I wake up. A, a Formula One car. Right. Yeah. Foster is a <laughs> motorboat, right? Uh, so those are the things that work for me. Uh, they won't work for everyone. Obviously, there's a lot of research about that. Exercise is very important. Uh, breathing exercises you can do. But those are the things that have worked for me. The Really, the most important one is don't just lay there. If you're not ready to sleep, you're not ready to sleep. Don't try to force yeah. yourself. I, I would just throw in there because everything that you said is is spot on for me, except for your dog, because I have mine. But uh, I yes. would also throw in and one that I haven't used but comes highly recommended is a podcast. It's called the Sleep With Me podcast. Oh, I've listened to that. No, I used to yeah. listen to that a long time. I just haven't recently. But yes, it's great. I have to. It's actually a little bit too interesting. So I have to turn, <laughs> That's I have to turn it down. down. Right. I have to turn it down. Oh. Weird. So many connections. I turn it yeah. down so it's the equivalent of my grandmother's television. I can yes. hear a murmur. Yes. I can hear voices, but I can't make out what they're saying. But it's that creak thing. I, it's just enough to be like, I can focus on it, but I can't really focus on it. And I'm trying to hear me. And you, and you, yeah. Yeah. And you need you're that, that Charlie yeah. Brown. Wah, 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 wah. It, it exactly. is, you know, for those who haven't heard of it, the Sleep With Me podcast, it's a lulling, droning, boring bedtime story to distract your racing mind. And it is designed for you never to get to the end of an episode. If you get to the end of an episode, they feel like they failed. So it's really a brilliant concept. And it is put together by a, a guy It's now been absorbed into the uh, Welcome to Night. Veil team, but it's been oh, was it put together yeah, by a guy who is who suffered from sleep issues for a long time, and he just he's helping the community, and I think it's just brilliant and gracious and just a, a beautiful thing that exists. Um, it's great because he yeah. is a terrible storyteller on purpose. Right, that's the whole idea. Great. Yeah, yeah. I uh, the other thing that I I have had to do in, in terms of just life change is I have to stop working when I need to stop working, right? Like yes, before dinner, yes. if I, if I mm -hmm. work after dinner and into the night and bring the laptop to bed, I am sunk. I will yeah, never be you're able spinning. to actually clear my head. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm, I'm spinning. Because you have the kind of terrible. lifestyle where you, your work will never actually end. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, Tom. Like I assume while we're <laughs> recording right now, you are also editing another podcast. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. It, it's really <laughs> difficult. And and, and uh, I just think most important, I, I think you just you actually came to an awakening just a minute ago. About, yeah. You know what it means to be alone that I think is really powerful. And I, I think that's uh, uh, that's fantastic. And, yeah. you know, more power to you because, you know, just being able to to use words to define that feeling uh, in a new way is uh, is awesome. Mazel tov. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Are you supposed to say that? I'm not a Jew. Tom, uh, after my issue last week, I've really struggled with how to introduce what I want to talk to you about this week oh. in a way that is non-racially confrontational. Oh. Uh, but, but I have to ask this question. <laughs> okay. How are Italians even alive? <laughs> I, I'm going to broaden that. How, like Europeans, how are they? How are they alive? 
right now <laughs> because of what they eat. Oh, I see. Breads and pastas. It's all carbs and cheese. The Italians, as a rule, <laughs> are a good looking people. Sure. Even older Italians, right? I, I saw the Godfather. There's some good looking older Italians. They wear that sure. mafia pride. They eat their pasta. Yep. There's sexy Italians. There's fit Italians. All the Italians. And they eat <laughs> so, so much stuff that is considered crap here, right? By conventional measure, conventional wisdom. Everything that is eaten, <laughs> they shouldn't eat. Now, I recognize that this is a wildly unfair comparison when we live in the land of food deserts and right. yes. such abundance of convenience foods, right? I, I recognize mm-hmm. that. It, it is foolish mm-hmm. for me to even say that. Sure. But but I do, I, I do want to ask you, Tom, how do you eat? How do you feel about the way you eat? Um, pretty good, I guess. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I would say it's 75% good adult eating and 35% garbage that i should feel bad about uh you'll notice that if you add those up that's more than 100 percent. because also part of the problem is i do actually eat too much my eating like an idiot lasted a little bit longer than it should have like how you eat when you're in college when you're free and you're like yeah it's all like it's pretty much straight up taco bell it's all cheese it's whatever you can afford or whatever's in the dining hall except for stir fry night oh man i used to eat so much cereal and uh juice Oh, yep. uh, and Coke in those little tiny glasses. I would fill yep. up six of those on my tray. <laughs> so that's back those before were, you were, were afraid of juices. Because you- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we, it's well documented your fear of juice. Uh, but <laughs> uh, my palate has exploded in a good way. And I'm getting more and more over the last few years. No, more than few years, like five or six years cooking. Like I really like cooking for myself. And I like... Mm-hmm. Uh, experimenting with new kind of dishes and things. And so as a result, I mean, fresh food is always going to be better. So Mm -hmm. I'm feeling better about it, but I can definitely, it wasn't too long ago when I might as well have been a child. Oh yeah. Why do you ask? Tom, Uh I, I have, you you ate a person, didn't you? (laughs) Oh no, Pete, you ate an Italian. (laughs) Pete, that's a crime. We've got to hang up and I have to call a lawyer. Why am I calling a lawyer? Probably. Yeah. I'm complicit. It's, I've been it's been some dark times for me related to food. I feel like I'm on an incredible roller coaster that that swings from uh you know love and abundance to just rage and hate uh of food. And it it's fascinating to to kind of be in this space with food. I I think it starts because I have a first degree family member uh who has celiac disease. What's that? Now what do you know? You don't know. Uh, what do you know from celiac, celiac disease? Does that have something celiac. to do with gluten? Doesn't everything have to do with gluten? See, there you go. There you go. You Oops. are part of the problem. Oops. Bet you didn't know I'd be doing that to you. Here's the deal. Celiac <laughs> disease. Uh, it is an autoimmune disorder. And okay. uh, autoimmune means that, that, you know, it's when your immune system attacks itself or attacks its its host. Right. Oh, OK. Yeah. And, and so it's celiac is a is an autoimmune disorder. And what happens? How is it related to gluten? Because I think this is wildly misunderstood. Uh, gluten is a protein that is found in wheat, rye, and barley. And so you know people have been totally thinking that gluten is a villain, right? They make fun of it. You know, I think even the new Avengers movie in the trailer, it's like I saved you. I rounded up all the gluten in the world and shot it into space where it can't not hurt you ever again. Deadpool two. Uh, 
Deadpool yes. too. That's right. That's De- yep. Deadpool too. So it's it's being totally joked about, right? That gluten is a villain, but gluten is not the villain in itself. Because celiac is an autoimmune disorder, when people with celiac disease eat gluten, as the protein hits their system, their bodies get confused and their own immune systems attack their small intestines. Oh, no. It is an oh, no kind of a thing. This can severely damage the villi that line the small intestine. Now, what do the villi do, Tom? They're little. Are they little hairs? They're little. They're little hairy fingers. Right? Okay. They line the intestine and their job is to absorb the nutrients into the body from your digesting food. Important. If if your auto your own immune system is destroying the villi in your intestine, you are at great risk to other super serious health problems. And that's oh. why this is a big deal. According okay. to the Celiac Foundation, this leads to things like diabetes and MS and anemia and osteoporosis and infertility and epilepsy and not to be outdone, intestinal cancer. On the oh. way there, uh, Tom, as you can imagine, you can spiral down this long road to malnourishment town as your body just sort of depletes itself, suffering from not getting the nutrients that you need to be able to extract from the food you eat. Sure. And, and, and so there is no treatment other than strict adherence to a gluten-free diet. And because, Tom, this is the... Ah! Uh, uh, gluten! Ah! Uh, what? Gluten! Because... Gluten! <laughs> Because it's an autoimmune disorder, it doesn't matter how much gluten you eat. Even crumbs from a cutting board can trigger a dramatic reaction that can take weeks to rebound and still weeks, do permanent really? damage to your small intestine in the process. So, it, it Who is in your inc- life suffers from this? You said my a first. Madre, my madre. Mama. My mom oh, and and okay. has been diagnosed for for decades, and she lives she lives just fine right now. But she was went through, over the process. There, doctors thought she had AIDS, and a, I mean, uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, at one point they said she had. Uh, I, I swear to God, it, it was like straight out of Joe versus the volcano, Tom. It was like you have a brain cloud, you know. I mean, it was just <laughs> obscure <laughs> things because right. they didn't know, and because this was decades ago. And once they figured oh, out, because we didn't know is, what it was, yet. yeah, Got we it. didn't know what we didn't know. And and now it's it, it you know she has a, a rigorous diet uh, and mm-hmm. happens to have fallen in love again with food. I am not there, and I, I hate that gluten is so lampooned in the media because it makes the severity of the impact to those who are actually living with celiac disease. Yeah, uh, that sucks. Uh, also, because it's super genetic. Oh a no! Gl- is yeah, this... a, du- oh. a direct relative. And you of enter someone- the picture. Yeah, right. <laughs> Enter okay. me. A direct relative of someone with celiac disease has a one in 10 chance of developing it themselves. And the tests okay. are notorious for false negatives. What? Stupid, oh, false stupid negatives. Stupid oh, tests. Bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is so, the test, do you have celiac disease? <laughs> yeah, Just the question. And you're like, no. Me. And they're like, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. I look at my doctor and I kind of poke around where I think my intestine is and I feel fine. Yeah. Uh, what what has uh, that? This is really what has led me to deal with some of the, the food resentment issues. And I know I'm not alone because I started searching for this and it is a major topic of, mm. uh, of discussion. And it's not there is actually a phobia. Uh, around this, it, it's called sitophobia. It, it's it's not quite the same. Sitophobia is a is is a um, fear of eating due to the unpleasant symptoms uh, that follow eating due to chemotherapy. That's one interpretation of it. It is oh. uh, 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 you know abdominal pain that follows eating. The uh, it, so it's it's 
you know, psychoneurotic abhorrence of food is another definition, a morbid dread or a, a repugnance to food, whether generally or only to specific dishes. So that that is a, a, a phobia of food that is different from what I have. I don't have a very good relationship with food uh, okay. because I feel like it betrays me. I hate food because I love food so much. I see. Okay. Right? That's what gets to this lizard brain because I'm a child. I won't eat that. I don't want to live a life subservient to nuts and berries. I won't do that. And so I, I find myself really struggling with that roller coaster. Um, and, and there are some really common refrains, right? Food, food made me fat. Food made me skinny. Food is good. Food is bad. Food is controlling my life. Food is poison. And, you know, food could kill me. If I eat, you know, a hamburger with a bun, um, you know, it is deteriorating my life. Now, it is not, I, 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 at this point, have not received a positive diagnosis for celiac, but I go and get tested every year because it can happen anytime. You know, my mom was really diagnosed it can just lay dormant was, and then show up. Yeah. Yeah. It just shows oh, up. That's fine. It just shows that's up. That's fun. It's not really. I mean, I get your sarcasm, but it's not. Really no, fun. that sounds terrible. Mm -hmm. No, it's really terrible. So, oh uh, God, it's <laughs> it could be in you. What? Uh, yeah. The 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 trick is, and this this is where I struggle. Is uh, you know sometimes I just want to go out and eat that hamburger, and sometimes I and while I'm doing it, I'm thinking about you know. Uh, this is uh, this this could lead to a grim outcome. What am I doing to uh, deteriorate my overall health? And uh, so you know. wait, though, can be can. So you, I'm trying to boil down what your phobia or what your anxiety is. Is it that if you eat gluten, it might cause celiac disease or eating a bunch more gluten can actually continue contribute to that or. I I don't know how to answer that question as a non-doctor, okay. um, but but this, what you're not a doctor? But <laughs> oh my god, this whole thing is a lie. <laughs> okay, but at any time, like it, it could be just as easy. My next physical, and my doctor says, "Well, time to make some changes to your diet," and that triggers the lizard brain child response, and I live in fear of that day, of that day, and it's so stupid having something taken out of your potential diet. Yes, because your body no longer react or reacts well to it. Right, that's the child thing of don't do that. Yep. Okay, sorry, I needed a little bit more of a roundabout. Got it. No, okay. I'm glad. I'm glad we could do that again because it felt really good the first time. So just keep <laughs> hammering it home, Tom. That's great. Um, so here's so I've been through a number of different uh, of different diets and and tried a whole bunch of different things. I've tried, you know, the high protein diets, I've tried the, the high high healthy fat diets. I've tried all these things and I realized they were all contributing to And is this to to lose weight or to why are you trying all these different diets? No, it's, it's more of a lifestyle thing. Uh it, okay. it's more of a lifestyle thing. Just making sure that I'm 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 trying to to build the right habits around food so that I live a long and healthy life. That is my ultimate goal. Got and if I, you know, normalize at the right weight, so much the better. Uh, anyhow, I've tried I've tried all these kinds of things and uh, all of them address food in a way that eventually leads to resentment. And that mm. is really frustrating to me. So I, where I am and where I have been for most of the last probably six months is is in a different place. And I have found a, a fasting diet uh, where I eat uh, five days out of the week and I don't eat for two uh, and two in I don't a row? eat anything Two, no two two separate days. 
Okay. And huh. I've gotten on kind of a rhythm. And now I, I don't eat. And so I haven't yet found the food hatred that I have normally had. Because on those those other days, the five days, I largely eat what I choose. I don't, oh, okay. I don't drink a lot of sodas anyway. Like, I'm not a real soda drinker. Um, I, I like my coffees, uh, you know, and I I occasionally will get a treat at a movie theater, you know, when I go to a movie. Mm-hmm. But but largely, that's not my kind of food. Really, I'm, I am uh, worried about, you know, other other issues with my health and eating the right stuff. So I'm, I constantly struggle with this. I constantly struggle with, with the feelings of hating myself because of bad decisions that I've made around what I eat, because I feel like every day, every bite I take of something that I is at all, uh, related to, you know, a negative impression of food or negative health is taking a day off the end of my life. And so that is an image that I have trouble shaking. And uh, and so I'm trying to trying to get my head around that. I'm calling it an anxiety because it's constantly there. But I found no sure. word that really defined what it was um, that that I deal with. I found a lot of people talking about it, but none of them have a word to define it for this push pull. Yeah. Of your relationship with food. Right. Right. Okay. Interesting. I don't know if it's interesting. I really don't. But you don't. <laughs> I what, so what you're t- you don't have this issue with food. You pretty much just, you You tell me now, you eat like a grown up. I do. I feel like I eat like a grown up. Not always. And I definitely do eat things that I, re- not regret later, but I know at the time, this is not good for me. And then I try to balance that with what I eat next. I definitely have issues with my weight. I do not care for it. Uh-huh. I wish I was less of a person <laughs> physically. <laughs> I'm right where okay. I want to be emotionally, Pete. But yeah. physically, <laughs> physically, I actually have reverse body dysmorphia in that sometimes, like, I think I look better than I do <laughs> because then I'll like pass by what? a reflection or a mirror and I'll be like, what? <laughs> That's what I look like because I feel like the the lighting in my bathroom somehow is incredibly flattering. So I go out in the day and I'm like, I'm my best self. And then I pass by a bank window and I'm like, oh, my God, who ate me? What is happening? Well, bank windows are notoriously circus windows. You can't. Oh, they're always funhouse mirrors. Yeah, Why do you right? do that, Banks? It's so your money looks bigger. Right. Um, so I definitely have that, I, I guess. I wrongly relate it more to exercise, and I know that food is really the biggest thing about trying to lose weight or health is just really yeah. portion control and what well, you eat. Yeah, yeah, that that is the number one thing I've learned in all of this is that the swings of you you exercise for general overall health, for organ right. health, for blood health, for heart health, not for weight. And right. so going to the gym, spending two hours at the gym and then going and eating, you know, crap all day is not going to help you lose weight if you don't change right. what you eat. So, yeah, yeah. it's uh, all that. I think that is the common wisdom for me. It's it's about trying to change the relationship that I have with with food so that I don't hate it so much because I resent it. I It is a it's a massive weight. It really feels like a, a true gorilla on my back uh, when I'm when I'm fixating on it. I mean, there, and, and there, is your fasting diet. That's the way to deal with that because that's not taking away what you want to eat but it's also taking away everything for a day or two i'm surprised that that actually works you know it's remarkable i would say my most productive days are my days when i'm not eating 
Mm. And it's not just because, hey, I can work through lunch, I don't think. I, I find I have more energy until the very end of the day. I have more energy throughout the day when my body is just like, processing sure like it's just my gut is empty my stomach is empty i am i'm just you know just moving along there's this doctor uh he uh, michael mosley he was a doctor and journalist for the bbc and he was asked to go check out the research being done on intermittent fasting and so he traveled all over the world and he uh discovered that it turns out all of these university researchers that are doing research on fasting uh are on to something that it's not just about the food it's about the fact that after you have been without food for 12 hours your body goes into what's called a cellular rebuilding mode right that you're you're cells oh. begin to repair and yep. and so uh they he started doing it himself and he went through a whole bunch of different iterations and ended up uh, writing a book the fast diet uh, michael mosley is his name and i learned a lot in that book obviously he's an advocate it's one of those books that is you know sometimes full of a little bit um thin uh support but largely i mean he's a physician first. And so his arguments are presented, I think, very clearly. And uh, and it was interesting to adopt it myself. The more I do it, uh, the easier it is for me to look at food and not hate it quite so much. And so it's huh. a journey, right? It's a journey. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, yeah. But I find when I can wake up in, on the mornings, I, I actually get to celebrate breaking a fast twice a week. And I have I think I've go- grown a little addicted to that. The feeling of the first thing I get to eat after not eating for 36 hours is quite sure. great. And I feel like I'm more productive. So, you know, here's hoping it's something that's long term, but that's that's where I am today. You weekly have like your own Lent. <laughs> that just yes, lasts 24 hours. Yeah. And I'm giving up. I'm giving up a food anxiety for Lent. I'm glad that you found something that works for you. In your honor, I'm going to plan to do my own 5-2 is that five days I will eat normally, and then for two days of the week, I will eat twice the amount (laughs) that a human should eat. Because we've got to keep the economics going, Pete. If you're just going to cut food out, I'm eating your share and mine. So, <laughs> And it's all going to be made f- up in soy futures. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm going to buy a bunch of stock, and then I'm going to eat an Italian, like we talked about before. <laughs> I wish us both a lot of luck. Stick around for a glimpse into next week's show. But first... Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or other MP3 player. You can't lose. You can't lose. It's a win-win. And Pete, uh, this is actually, this is true. (laughs) Everything (laughs) I've said up till now is a lie, but this is true. I talked in my anxiety about having a book, uh, an old favorite book that you've read many times before. And I have actually, I love this book so much. I read it at least once a year and I've listened to it too. Uh, It is Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. It is the beginning of the Ender's Game I don't know, Quadrology. I think he's written 900 of them. You don't have to read them all. I haven't, but I have read and most importantly, through Audible, listened to Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. It is the story of a young boy who may or may not in the future be the savior for the human race. I'm just back and forth with sci-fi. And even if you're not a huge sci-fi fan, this book is amazing. 
Um, and you can find it on Audible. And I listened to it. The cool thing is it's narrated by a cast. It's not just one person. So it really makes it kind of a cinematic experience for your ears. The special 20th anniversary edition of Ender's Game is available right now on audible.com. It is 11 hours and 57 minutes. So maybe time that with your fasting days. I don't know how you live your life, however it works. But it is fantastic. And Audible is absolutely the best. And I think you'll really enjoy it. For you, listeners of What's That Smell, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out the service sample, uh, listen to all the little samples that they offer you. Uh, again, just visit www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast uh, and search for Ender's Game Special 20th Anniversary Edition. We've got it. We've got the whole catalog, the whole catalog of the Ender's, uh, the Enderverse books, Tom, the whole catalog. The whole one? And they're amazing. Thanks, Audible. Today's tune is Feel Alive by Rex Banner. And guys, as we said before, we don't pay to advertise this show, so we really appreciate you sharing it with others you think would be interested. Since we're a new show, those five-star reviews and iTunes and Apple Podcasts really, really help others to discover the show. So if you like what you've heard, and we hope that you have, share the love with a review and a comment. I know it sounds like a pain. I promise it will only take you three to four minutes, and it means the world to us. So thank you. Coming up next week... It's not like he's angry, but it's just this cold, weird stare. <laughs> and I can picture him thinking about all the knives in the house. <laughs> this actually is is kind of serious. I didn't go to the dentist for 18 years. But wait, how often are they? What? For 18 years? Do you still have teeth? What if that's what death was like? <laughs> At the very end, you're like, I wonder what my mailman is seeing. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> Until then, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. Thank you so much for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? <laughs> <laughs>